Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee emphasized the experience of Christ as life and the practical oneness of the believers. He was unbending in his conviction that God's goal is not narrow sectarianism, but the body of Christ. Through his messages in these life studies, he stressed the importance for us to grow in life and to function as Christians so that the body can build itself up. We're happy to bring you recorded portions from his ministry today, along with some of our own thoughts. And we welcome your comments and questions. You can reach us toll-free at 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Now let's join today's program. Have you ever noticed how often the Lord Jesus spoke in parables to illustrate various aspects and great truths that he was presenting during his earthly ministry? Parables are, in effect, pictures in words, pictures that can convey deep and profound truth with a simple story. Some of the parables, especially in Luke, have a mysterious quality about them, such as in Luke 16 when a story about an unrighteous steward who is praised for his unrighteous action was presented. This steward, it turns out, typifies us, servants of God, serving with him to bring in his kingdom. Now we come to chapter 18, and a parable that presents God as an unrighteous judge. Is he really unrighteous? And should we really serve him unrighteously? Well, surely not. But the discovery of what these parables do depict is the focus of our life study today, and Ron Kangas has joined us for this program. Ron, welcome back. It's good to be here And I've said this often in my initial response in fellowship, but I'm very happy to participate in the fellowship on this parable. It is very profound. The issue addressed by the Lord in it is uh, something that has been troubling, even vexing to many believers. Uh How do we relate to God when it seems that he does not care, when it seems that he is absent, when it seems that he is silent. The Lord speaks to this in this parable, and what he reveals is quite remarkable and deeply assuring and richly supplying to all the earnest believers who, we have to admit, are sometimes bewildered at God's ways which are infinitely higher than ours. So I believe it's a particular blessing for us all to be able to dwell on this rightly opened and correctly interpreted portion of the Word of God. I'm glad to be here, Chris. Well, with that uh, introduction, it would seem logical for us just to launch into it, but I do want to come back for a moment because we touched something in the two previous programs Uh, from chapter 17 that touched me and I felt like was worth our time to review a little bit. And that is what we saw in chapter 17, focused specifically on the kingdom of God and really the Lord Jesus revealing in his answer to a question from a Pharisee that the kingdom of God is in reality a person. Could you review this a little bit before we go on to our parables today? The situation was that the Lord was questioned about 
the coming of the kingdom. And the question implies a concept of the kingdom, that the kingdom is an era, that the kingdom is a realm of administration. And of course, these things are true. But the Lord sees the opportunity to reveal something marvelous concerning the kingdom. He said the kingdom of God does not come by things that can be observed outwardly and physically. Then he said the kingdom of God is in your midst. Well, who was in the midst of these questioning ones? None other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For him to say the kingdom is in your midst actually means that the kingdom is the person of the king. The kingdom is Christ. The kingdom is personal. Eventually, as more and more come to believe into Christ and are born of God and enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom becomes not only Christ himself, but Christ enlarged and expanded because the one who is the kingdom as well as the king has entered into his believers to be their life. This is a radically new yet thoroughly scriptural understanding of the kingdom. And I would say to our listeners, this is another reason or another indication of why we need to come to the Word of God afresh, why we need to be willing to drop traditional and limited and superficial understandings, and why we need this ministry that again and again opens the Word and shows us wonderful things that we never saw but are actually there in the Word of God. I am happy, I am privileged to echo the truth that the kingdom is a person. The kingdom is the one who was in the midst of the Pharisees, and the kingdom is the one who was in the midst of our being, which is the wonderful Christ himself. I just had a feeling that it was worth to go back and review now that was confirmed by the fellowship and we'll move forward because we do want to come to now to the parable found in chapter 18 and the one that I think you rightly described it. It's very practical because I think our experience will be borne out in how this is unfolded today and it will, I believe, answer probably many longstanding questions. Let's look at it. It's just a few verses in chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the end that they ought always to pray and not lose heart saying there was a certain judge in a certain city who did not fear God and did not regard man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Avenge me of my opponent. And for a time he would not, but afterward he said within himself, Even though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow causes me trouble, I will avenge her, lest by continually coming she wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. 
And will not God by all means carry out the avenging of his chosen ones who cry to him day and night, though he is long-suffering over them? I tell you that he will carry out their avenging quickly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the story, Ron, an unrighteous judge and a persistent widow. Let's join Witness Lee. In chapter 16, the Lord gave the disciples a uh, parable of the uh, uh, unrighteous steward. Here in chapter 18, he gives another parable of an unrighteous judge. The uh, unrighteous steward, of course, signifies us as the Lord's steward. Now, an unrighteous judge, according to context, should signify the righteous God. <laughs> Quite puzzling. In this parable, he indicates this. He indicates that while we are following him during his apparent absence, actually, it is not an absence. Actually, he's present. He's still with us. During his apparent absence, we are a widow. A widow. And we do have an opposer, an opponent, troubling us all the time. Then where is our God? <laughs> it's quite interesting. Listen to this. Where is our God? Our God now seems not righteous. Why? Because he suffers to see that his children are being unrighteously persecuted. John was beheaded, and Peter was crucified, and Paul was put into prison. Thousands and thousands, the honest, faithful followers of this man Savior all suffered unrighteous persecution. Even today, we are still under a kind of unrighteous mistreatment. It seems our God probably is unjust. It seems our God either he is sleeping or he is not righteous. He is not just. If he is just, he is righteous, he would not, he should not tolerate this unjust thing going on all the generations. So, now, this kind of background, this kind of situation, forced the man-savior to use an unrighteous judge to signify God. Then what should we do? We have to learn to be the bothering widow, to pray to him persistently, again and again and again to bother him. Well, Ron, I think now uh, all of our listeners can relate to some degree to what's being depicted in this parable. Uh, it does appear at times as if God is sleeping, uninterested, absent, whatever phrase we want to use to describe it. And we have all had probably that feeling of exasperation. I imagine very few of us have actually verbalized it that way to say that our God is unrighteous. But the point is, the feeling is there. But beneath that, there's a lesson here regarding our own response to this seeming uninterest, isn't there? There surely is. 
And let me restate some of the, the points that came out in Brother Lee's ministry that we just heard. The unrighteous judge is used to signify the righteous God. And this widow signifies us, the believers, who are widows in the sense that we're living in uh, the absence of our husband. He is with us spiritually, but we are awaiting his coming. And then there's an opponent, an adversary. That's really the devil, the enemy of God, and he is our enemy because we're one with God. And he is mistreating us constantly, viciously, cruelly. And we're the widow, defenseless, So we cry out in our prayer to God, perhaps expecting that right away God will intervene, God will act manifestly to do something, to stop this, to prevent this, to avenge this, to judge this. That's our concept. We're here on the earth for God. We're one with him. The enemy is persecuting us, opposing us. We go to God. We don't fight back in a fleshly way. We go to God in prayer. Then we face this situation where apparently God doesn't do anything. There is no change in the situation except maybe for the worse. And we don't see an obvious answer to our prayer. Well, that's the way it is sometimes. And we need to know the Lord in this aspect of his seeming to be absent, seeming to be disinterested, seeming to be unresponsive. For whatever reason, he may not answer quickly. He may not do anything outwardly. We need to know that's not the way it really is. But we have to overcome that appearance by our persistent prayer in faith, knowing that eventually this sovereign one whom we love, worship, and serve will come into the situation, will deal with the enemy, and when he comes, he wants to see in his people this kind of faith, the faith that bothers him, almost wearing him out, we say metaphorically. With our prayer, it seems, we could say this way, Chris, the less he does, the more we pray. The less he acts, the more we beseech. Instead of giving up and losing heart and fainting, something within us, our God-given faith, in the light of this open portion of the Word and in the light of the unveiling of God in this aspect, we just go on sometimes for a very, very long period of time, praying in the face of seeming divine indifference, but knowing deep within, our God is righteous, our God is faithful, and our God is sovereign. He will eventually, when he decides is the right time and the best time, he will come in. But he wants this kind of faith that issues in persistent prayer to be built up in his chosen and redeemed people on the earth. 
it almost is an acknowledgement by the Lord, it seems, in this parable that he knows that to us it will seem as if he is disinterested and even unrighteous in presenting this parable. But I want to, as an introduction to this coming portion, remind ourselves of four short words in the very first verse of this parable. And you mentioned them in your response just now, Ron. Do not lose heart. That's the preface. And that's noteworthy, I think. It surely is. The Lord charges us not to lose heart. But in the charge is a supply, right? Right. The words do not lose heart convey to us in the spirit the capacity given by God never to lose heart, even in the midst of very perplexing situations. Something deep within rises up again and again, and we simply do not lose heart. May so many among God's people be supplied by this word and not lose heart. Let's go back to Witness Lee. You know, this kind of bothering prayer, still not answered yet, until in chapter 6 of Revelation. At that time, the persecuted one, that means the widow, will be still crying, Lord, you would wait how long? How long? How long? Even by that time, the answer was still, wait. Yet, wait a short while. You know, Revelation chapter 6 unveils to us, not the living ones who are under persecution praying. There, in the fifth seal, who will be praying there? The martyred ones. The souls who are under the altar, that means underneath the earth, that is the present section of the Hades. They still pray there. Paul, John, Peter, they're still praying there. And I do believe Prophet Brother Nee is now praying there. Lord, how long? You are the righteous judge. How could you tolerate this kind of unjust, unrighteous persecution going on around the globe? I tell you, that was the unseen side of this kind of bothering prayer offered by the martyred saints in paradise. What is revealed in Luke chapter 18 is on our side that we have to pray. This kind of prayer is related to our enjoyment of the Jubilee. Ron, there's a lot that we could fellowship about that's been presented, but I would like to focus, if you agree, on this matter of these two prayer meetings, we could say, going on, a seen one and an unseen one. This is quite illuminating, isn't it? And Let's admit that um, this is a new view of things to many of us. In Luke 18, we have prayer offered by those that still living on earth, suffering the enemy's attack and opposition, as well as persecution. And they're learning to pray persistently, even when God seems to do nothing to avenge them. Then in Revelation chapter 6, in the verses that we considered, 
we have a view of another, we could say, prayer meeting, that the souls underneath the altar, indicating that they have been slain and they're in paradise, the pleasant section of Hades. And I say parenthetically, when the believers die, they do not go to heaven. Rather, they go to paradise awaiting resurrection and rapture. But here you have the prayer of those who were martyred. God did not prevent their martyrdom. God did not vindicate them outwardly during their life on earth. He let what seems to be the worst happened to them. They were slain. But now they are praying there in the unseen realm, in the invisible prayer meeting, and they're asking the Lord, How long, Master holy and true, will you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It's the same in nature as the prayer in Luke 18 in this parable. Lord, how long? Why do you do nothing? Why must we wait? And the Lord, in essence, has the same response. He gives an assurance to the living. He says, do not lose heart. Persevere in prayer to those that have departed are in paradise. The Lord expresses his approval by giving them a white garment, encouraging them to rest. But in both places of the word, we see the same thing. Those that are alive and in the flesh, those that have departed, especially those that were faithful to the end and were never vindicated outwardly, all are praying, all are crying out to the righteous God, to the true and holy one, to avenge them. But God avenges, vindicates in his own time and in his own way. And during the interval of his apparent absence and his apparent silence and inactivity, we need to persistently pray in faith, knowing him, knowing what kind of God he is, that although he seems not to care, he cares deeply. And although he seems not to act, he is very active. And the time will come when he will outwardly manifestly come into the scene and deal with the unrighteousness and to deal with the enemy. And at that time, the prayers will be answered and the saints will be vindicated. But until that time, we need to pray to the one who seems to be an unjust judge, but who actually is the righteous, holy glorious, faithful, sovereign, wise God who knows when and how to answer the prayers of his suffering saints. He's wonderful, and in him we can be faithful and also persistent. Ron, the printed life study message ends in a wonderful way, pointing out that this parable reveals not God's unrighteousness, but as you just pointed out, what it reveals is his sovereignty. And I think that that is uh, the point that I want to take out of this message today, that God has left it to us to determine when and if we will pray. And that is our portion. The believers should always pray 
and never lose heart. The believers need to know God as he is revealed in this parable. To know him in this way is a treasure. It's a comfort to us in the midst of our situation. May the Lord really bless the seekers who have now received this word and who now have the opportunity to devour, I would hope, the printed message. Well, I will uh, leave our listeners with our toll-free number. It is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. We hope that you'll take the time to contact us. We would love to get these uh, materials into your hands, and we would love to have fellowship with you about your appreciation, your enjoyment, and what you're seeing in these Life Study messages each day. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee spent seven decades in the 20th century speaking Christ, first in Asia and then North America, eventually all over the world. The culmination of those 70 years of ministry was his Life Study of the Bible, an exhaustive exposition of the entire scriptures. This unique commentary focuses on how Christ can be life to man in an experiential and practical way. These programs encapsulate Witnessly speaking in just 26 minutes. But to get the complete riches, visit lifestudy.com. From there you can read all of the Life Study messages in their entirety or download any of our more than 1,700 audio programs at no cost. Again, that website is lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.